This is The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net and in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. Suburban and rural courts often face distinctive issues, issues different from those of truly small courts, but also different from the issues faced by those massive metropolitan court organizations. It is tempting to always talk about big problems in big courts. It's easy for me to forget that two-thirds of the courts in our country are of benches comprised of fewer than 10 judges. Today, we're going to revisit a relatively recent phenomenon, remote hearings. But we're going to look at them from the perspective of courts that are sometimes overlooked, suburban and rural courts. As recently as 2019, remote hearings were an oddity. Few courts offered them, few parties asked for them. Then came COVID and our world turned on its head. Remote hearings became a regular part of many court calendars. The long-term future of remote hearings is still a question mark. Most litigants, attorneys, and the general public seem to enjoy the convenience of appearing remotely. Judges seem less enthusiastic. Appearance rates are up, more cases are being cleared, but technology glitches, scheduling problems, and the casual nature with which some litigants treat remote hearings dampens that support. I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. This month, we're looking at remote hearings. How do suburban and rural courts address the challenges that come with them? Here to discuss this issue are Angie Van Skoik, town clerk and court administrator for the municipal court in the town of Silverthorne, Colorado. Stacy Fields, court administrator for the municipal court in Crestwood, Missouri. Danielle Trujillo, court administrator for the municipal court in the city of Littleton, Colorado. And Frank Mayoko, court administrator for the Superior Court in Kitsap County, Washington. Thank you all for joining today's podcast. Start off, tell us about your state's position on remote hearings and what's been your court's experience with them. Frank Mayoko? The judicial branch in the state of Washington is a very decentralized branch, which provides for a great deal of local autonomy with regard to most court operations. This was suspended for a brief period of time at the start of the pandemic because courts really had to figure out a way to operate within some boundaries, within some parameters. And so a great deal more deference was paid to the administrative orders provided by the Washington State Supreme Court. Uh, As we've emerged from the pandemic, courts have really had a great deal of autonomy uh, in terms of how we continue to work with remote appearances. I would say that, you know, we have been provided some best practices and some recommendations by the Board for Judicial Administration, which operates under the auspices of the Washington State Supreme Court. But what local courts are doing is really up to what you can do, what you can resource and how you want to approach it. So here in Kitsap County, we basically turned on a dime like everybody else did in March 2020. And we threw remote appearances at just about everything. And in fact, during the pandemic, Our mantra was, we don't want to see you here unless you're on a screen. Do not appear in the courthouse unless you do so remotely. We started in March of this year, 2023, my bench and I, talking about, okay, 
as we emerge from the pandemic, what do we want that to look like? We don't necessarily want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Are there ways in which remote appearances can continue to assist us in providing broad access to the public and, and continuing to build public trust and confidence? And so beginning in July of this year, we have been a little more strategic in terms of how we permit remote appearances on our calendars, where we mandate in-person appearances, how we offer exceptions uh, to folks to appear remotely if they cannot appear in person. And again, we've just tried to be a little more strategic about where does it make the most sense and potentially where does remote appearances stand in the way of better justice. Danielle Trujillo? Yeah, a lot like Frank in Colorado, we took a lot of those same steps. And most courts, just like Frank said, at this point, now have a lot of autonomy and can decide what's working for them. So more local judges are actually deciding what resources they put in place. Maybe we utilize some of that ARPA funds or that CARES Act funding in order to bring technology into the courthouse and took advantage of that. And so now we want to continue to use that moving forward. Um, I think a lot of judges, when we initially had to embark on this journey, were hesitant because they didn't know what it would look like for everybody, for participants, um, for defendants, for the prosecutor. So we had to build a level of confidence with all of the users in order for them to see what it could look like. Once those judges started hearing defendants, witnesses, other attorneys really valuing that this was a new way of working with the court and how efficient it could be in order for them to save their clients money, let's say for defense attorneys, because they weren't having to include travel expenses, the judge really felt like this is an opportunity for us to provide a different level of service. And so we actually run hybrid. So we're running in tandem, both virtual and in-person court for the majority of our dockets. Now, the judge does prefer to see people in person when we're holding trials or for sentencing hearings. He thinks that, or he or she thinks that there's a lot of value in that. Um, and so those are places where we have required people to come in, unless there's extenuating circumstances. And then, of course, we're going to put it on the table for all parties to decide which method they would prefer. Stacy Fields? Well, in the state of Missouri, initially when during the time of uh, the pandemic, we were all virtual. Some never stopped and actually never stopped even in person. They continued in some outer lying counties. As for our particular circuit, we did go virtual. And right now we're we don't have statewide a mandate in regard to whether or not you have a virtual. The only thing that um, has clearly been stated was no trials and to refrain from trials being virtual. But outside of that, each municipality does have the autonomy to make the best decision. And right now we're working on a hybrid in Crestwood and it's been highly beneficial for people who are out of state or maybe have medical reasons or something that they can't come in person. So that's been beneficial for them. But outside of that, we do do you know, in person. Angie Vance Goik, your court has never allowed remote hearings. What are the main reasons why? And have you experienced any feedback from the public or attorneys lobbying for your court to allow them? Um, so one of the main reasons that we never allowed remote hearings was just the technological capability. Uh, we did not have 
a good system in place to have that as an option. And uh, during COVID, I was actually with a different court and that judge wanted to see everybody in person because he felt that doing it by Zoom or WebEx or any kind of online platform, he wouldn't necessarily get the right interactions with the defendants and wanted to have that ability for anybody that wanted to actually appear in court to be there in person so he could speak to them one-on-one and not do it virtually. With my current court, a lot of it is we don't have good staff to be able to offer virtual options. We have had it where witnesses and like officers have not been able to be here in person for trials and have tried to get them on like Zoom or go to platforms and it just never works. Um, So we've had, you know, like phone calls trying to conference them in and that's not working. And so there's like a lot of technological hiccups that happen to be able to have it occur. And if I'm not here, the staff have a really difficult time trying to figure out how the system works to be able to try to get people remoted in. So we've opted to not have that be an option just to have it be more streamlined, because I think we'd have a very long court day if we were trying to offer that. We have not had any pushback from the public or from attorneys yet. So until we do, I think we're kind of good with what we're doing. Now, one of the problems remote hearings help solve is the distance challenge for some parties getting to the courthouse, particularly poor litigants. Has your court had any discussion about this distance divide? Not particularly. For most of the poor defendants that we have, they're local, so they're able to come in person. Um, We have had some ask because they have to take time off of work. So we try to get them through quicker. um, So they're only having Mm -hmm. to be out of work for, you know, a couple hours as opposed to all morning. Uh, The ones that have wanted to be remote have been further away. And unfortunately, because we don't have the capability you know, we've tried to come up with solutions, but most of them have been able to work out uh, pleas and stuff with the prosecutor. Um, mm-hmm. So they're not having to come back in person and they can do that all by uh, email instead of having to be here, which has really worked out quite well so far. The members of the public I talk to think favorably of remote hearings. What perceptions have you picked up in your court from the public, from the court staff, and from your judges? Frank? You know, it's it's interesting. I, I think that we have become somewhat victims of our own success in, in deploying remote technologies and, and permitting remote appearances. The public loves it. You know, if it saves them the time to have to come to the courthouse, if it saves them time from having to take time off work to go ahead and appear, they absolutely love it. And I would also say that most court consumers love it. We had a lot of pushback when we started to limit remote appearances among our local bar. And we've had to create a pretty accessible exception policy uh, to permit that, certainly in the transition period as as we move to a a broader hybrid system. Judges and court staff, let me just say, you know, at the beginning, when we were in the middle of the pandemic, they embraced it. They loved it. Even the court staff, and we're a fairly limited, you know, Angie mentioned, you know, limitations on staff. Here in, in the Kitsap Superior Court, we have 10 judicial officers. My assistant takes the lead on all remote appearance technologies. And when she's not here, I'm the backup. And thankfully, she's always accessible via texts and what have you, because all thumbs backup is not really very useful. But one of the very interesting things that, that has sort of transpired over time 
is that the judges have become less enamored with it. And, and I understand why. You know, there, there's a very interesting place here where in the absence and growing reduction in the availability of court reporters, the judges have taken on a new role over the last several years in managing the digital record to make sure that we have an appropriate verbatim court record. Add to that a new layer of technology where now they have to make sure that parties who are appearing remotely are there. I think always of of our family law calendar where, you know, on a Friday morning motions calendar, we may have 25 cases, you know, multiplied by at least two people, that's 50 people. And if you add attorneys into that, you're up to 60 or 65. Well, you know, remote appearance screens hold about 25. And so trying to manage who's in the courtroom to make sure that everyone is properly heard and that the hearing is just and fair and everybody has that opportunity is really kind of a a difficult and complex task added to what the judges are already doing, which is having to hear and resolve disputes. So the judges over time have become less enamored with it. I think they see it and I think they appreciate it as a way of, again, providing broadest possible access, which is why we have been very conservative in reducing where we use uh, remote appearance technologies. But for the most part, I think that, you know, we understand it's here to stay and we'll figure out a way to make it available strategically on our on our dockets. Danielle? I think um, thinking about Angie and Frank, the their responses, some of this reminds me of a story that the judge and I uh, first talked about when we were considering all the things that go into it. It's a lot of work and judges really have to start, they had to learn how to manage online meetings is what it really looked like. And they had to be willing to do that. Yeah. And everybody had to work in tandem in order to make that happen. But when you think about the stories of somebody having to come to court, and this really happened at our courthouse for a traffic ticket, and that took multiple hours and they worked in the medical field. They pled guilty, got their fine, walked away. We put them on a payment plan. 30 days later, they walked into the courthouse and said they lost their job because they had spent too much time at the courthouse. And that really created kind of a highlight for us. We have to do better. We have to help meet people where they are. And if it requires more work on our part, then we're willing to do that because that's what access to justice really looks like. And so how are we really thinking about all the users that are coming into our courthouse, whether there are unhoused population and fear of coming in, but they're more than willing to get on the phone or on a video call with a social worker or with an advocate in order to do their hearing so we can resolve it. So sometimes it's about how are we really meeting people where they are in order to help them resolve their issues so our community can just become whole again and we can resolve those cases that are impacting our community. And that requires more work on the court's part. This isn't easy. It requires more money. It requires more resources. It requires more people. But it's our responsibility to help meet people where they are so we can actually provide justice to the community. So I think part of this is learning what is that experience user experience that you really want to have? And then how are you going to deliver that service? And if it requires more, then we have to ask for more, right? That's where we have to hold our cities up to that higher level of standard of we want to provide the service, but we need more resources in order to support it. Stacy, Well, and initially, I think that there was a miscommunication with everyone once we got on virtual. And I think it, it really has to do because we are more suburban. Some of our larger courts have a much larger presence as far as, I don't know if it's just the initial look of even the outside of the court 
that causes people to take it more seriously, but we're a smaller suburb and people just stopped coming and they stopped even attending the virtual sessions. So we had to look at things strategically and say, what's going to be the most beneficial and what's going to help the wheels of of justice? What's going to help us to be able to continue to facilitate what we need to facilitate, but also help them to understand that this is truly a, a real in-person court. And oddly enough, I think our biggest competition <laughs> and perception of the public doesn't come with them looking at us as what branch of government we're in, but we're competing with the more social and entertainment sides of the judiciary, you know, where they look on television. So they equate that with, oh, I'm just on Judge Judy in Missouri. And that's not fair to them. It's not fair to anyone because we really do care and we really do want it to be there. We really want to do help facilitate their participation in it. But it has made it a little bit more challenging to shift that perspective and then with the approaches in technology, we also have to look and see where those advancements are going and how that's going to impact it. So I think right now we're we're sitting in the place that right now the in-person is the best and we use the use of technology in those remote hearings as a way to supplement that. So that if it is a really extenuating circumstance, we're going to meet you as best we can. But you have to understand that the first part is our obligation to really provide the services and represent ourselves as well as we can, you know, as, as being members in the judiciary. Working with litigants who are not technically proficient has been a challenge for some courts and tends to lengthen hearings. Has your court experienced this problem, Frank? Sure. And, and so it's it's interesting. I don't know that necessarily we've ha had to deal with as many folks who are not as technically savvy to deal with it. It's really become more a question of uh, what resources are available to them. Um, do they have computers from which they can use? Do they have appropriate, consistent uh, Wi-Fi uh, or network capability to go ahead and meet us where we are, you know, to, to, to dovetail on what Danielle said earlier? I think we've learned that we have to be very fluid in this. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, we can't, we can never lose sight of the fact that we're about justice and that remote appearances are a means to an end, right? If it's the right tool to cultivate the right hearing where everyone gets hurt, it's a great tool. But if it's a hindrance, if it's a hindrance to one side telling their side of the story, it's a, if it's a hindrance to the court really fully understanding and grasping what's at stake in the conflict, then technology really is in the way. And it's why we have had to be very fluid in how we approach this. So over time, what I've seen is um, I've seen judges who, as they have struggled with, you know, the technological challenges in the middle of the hearing, We've taken a five minutes out. We've tried to fix that. We've tried to adjust that, whether it's the courtroom not communicating out well or how we're receiving information. We've made suggestions to folks how they can appear better, sound better. You know, and, and candidly, if, if we can't fix it, you know, I think our judges have been very, very gracious and, and, and appropriate in saying, hey, listen, it doesn't look like we're going to get through this hearing today and give you the opportunity that you need. So why don't we set this over until tomorrow? The courthouse is open, the courtroom is open, and we'd love to have you come back here in person. That's one way in which we've dealt with it. The other thing that we learned both during the pandemic 
and uh, and as we've emerged from it, is there are people who simply don't have the resources available to them. Um, during the pandemic, of course, since we had so much more floor space around here, we're able to take our smaller courtroom and turn it into a little bit of a studio. And so, listen, if you don't have a computer, if you don't have consistent Wi-Fi, come on down to the courthouse. We'll make the exception about mandated remote appearances, and we will put you in that courtroom, and we will assist you in making a remote appearance from someplace within the building to ensure that you are heard. And if this doesn't work, you know what, then we're going to go ahead and move you into the courtroom and we'll have you make an in-person appearance, notwithstanding the fact that the other side is available remotely. And so um, we've gone into this with a full understanding that, you know, everybody comes from a different place. And again, as Danielle said, you've got to meet them where they're at. You certainly have to do that from a technological standpoint. Danielle? A couple of really great points there. I think part of the challenges that we face is besides people just not understanding the technology, what is your process, right? Every court is going to do it a little bit different. So the better you can prepare people for what to expect at the beginning, we felt like has really transformed their experience in the hearing. Whether you're walking into our door or whether you're calling us on the phone or to check in online on a form, we want to provide you with a little bit of instruction of what to expect. And that's just really good service no matter how you're doing it. And so if you can think of all those kind of pitfalls that you've run into or those challenges and kind of help steer people so you don't run into those same challenges, it really makes for a better experience for everybody. It's going to take more time and it's going to take a lot of flexibility. The amount of problem solving you have to do on a daily basis running hybrid hearings is kind of crazy, right? Um, but what we've really tried to do is empower our clerks the judge, everybody in the building. If you run into a problem, let's come up with a solution, right? There's no one right way to do this. So let's kind of throw it at it and see what sticks and what worked best that day. And we can debrief after and say, hey, in this situation, this worked best. Um, but we can all become problem solvers in the courthouse to make sure that people are getting the help that they need. And so you kind of have to front load with what can people expect and give them some really good instructions and help judges learn that flexibility. And just like Frank said, how do we adjust on the fly and what can we do if this isn't working the way we need it to right and usually most people are amicable and, and want to get to a resolution and we'll say yeah that's fine i can come in or i live down the street i'll drive in right now you know so we've had a lot of as long as there's the flexibility within your courthouse a lot of times you're getting that also from people the court users as well now one complaint some judges have is of overly relaxed litigants particularly self-represented litigants, during remote hearings. Have you heard any discussion from judges about this, Stacy? Yes. <laughs> We've had a couple of experiences. We had a gentleman who was actually walking to the store to get his mom some milk while he was actually in court, yeah, and there was another person that actually was having a small party, but he felt it was important enough to stop and, and talk with us for a while. So we've had some very interesting times. And I think we understand that things happen and that there are certain situations and we do allow, you know, the grace for that. But it just has become a slight of a challenge because once one person sees or feels, oh, well, it's not that important or it's not that serious, then it tends to carry over. And it's a lot different when you're in one room to be able to, to 
modulate and kind of help guide people through the process and help them to understand that this, you know, is serious and that we do have, you know, some of the, the pleas, you know, have very serious implications and have those kinds of conversations. So it's very hard to kind of get people back into that more stable and serious mindset versus us having it in person it's it's much easier to do that and i think too the surroundings a lot of times when you're on virtual if you see you can see the virtual background and we do have a court scene behind the judge but it's been occasions where we didn't and it was just inside of an office which mentally will imprint something in your mind when you're participating in it, that maybe it's not as important or I'm not mm -hmm. taking it as seriously. And then that's where we end up with having multiple appearances because people, they don't really feel like there's an impact to them, whether they come to court or not. So that's kind of been our balancing act. But we've had some really interesting appearances. So Danielle? I think Stacey brings up a really good point. You know, what we've learned along the way, too, is a lot of juvenile hearings. Parents want their juveniles to come in person, and they want them to have that experience of coming into the courthouse and feeling what that weight feels like to them and having that complete experience, even if it is time consuming for them as a parent, they feel like there's a lot of benefits to it. So like Stacey there's a little bit of weight in difference um, maybe that participants have when they uh, have both experiences. But what we've seen is those people that are struggling with mental health issues, the ability to not have as much anxiety because they have to walk into the building and go through court security and the unknown, but yet know kind of what to expect and can do that from the comfort of their home. We've had a lot more success with a lot of those clients too, and them actually being successful in their sentencing requirements. So there's a little bit of give and take there in order to make sure that it's feeling very professional. Frank? Similar to Stacy, uh, you know, we have seen our garden variety of folks appearing or in remote appearances. Um, we've had people trying to appear while they're driving. We've had people who've started changing their clothes and who have been applying their makeup. You know, it has been fascinating that, you know, it, somebody mentioned earlier, you know, Judge Judy from Missouri, you know, sometimes I feel like we're watching Jerry Springer from Port Orchard, right? I mean, it, it really is a fascinating Thing. People look to remote appearances very similar to, to text messages or to, to social media posting. I can do this relatively anonymously, and I forget the fact that I'm in the universe in which I'm acting, right? And so it's one of the reasons why having sufficient staff, you know, you always want to have court representation with eyes on the screen and listening to the sound. Somebody has to have the ability to immediately remove someone or sound off or what have you to ensure that the decorum of the court is properly preserved. Having said that, you know, I, I will tell you two things. The other thing that we have learned with regard to remote appearances is that appearing from your car, a park, your living room, your bedroom, seriously emboldens people. And so when you have some pretty significant high conflict cases, people feel like naming themselves observer and sitting in one of 25 squares gives them the opportunity to really participate as if they were watching Springer. They can yell out, they can scream out. And again, it emphasizes the importance of having hands on and eyes on the screen by someone other than the ju judge, other than the courtroom clerk to make sure that you preserve the decorum. The last thing I will share with you 
And and I think it's, it's in the way of a story because I think it's really indicative of, of how remote appearances has evolved in, in our superior court. Um, we have a judge here who's very mild-mannered, very quiet, doesn't say a lot even when he's answering questions. And he was a part of our regular criminal calendar rotation a few years ago. And we went into a quarterly criminal practice and procedures committee meeting, which included representatives from our uh, Office of Public Defense and our prosecutor's office. And he lit them up. He lit up officers of the court because he said, you know what? Appearing from your office, from your car, from your bedroom, you know, you have forgotten that you are in a courtroom. You're not just on a screen in a courtroom. You are in a courtroom. Your lack of preparedness, your lack of professionalism, your lack of getting ready and dressing appropriately for this court is not appreciated and will stop. Um, and, and so it's not just the public who has become emboldened or forgotten the importance of the court. Sometimes it's the, you know, the, the officers of the court. It's the court professionals. And, and it was a great reminder. I mean, we, we still chuckle about it. Well, you know, we'll, we'll have to enlist Judge Hauser on this if this particular behavior continues, right? Because everybody remembers that significant event and, and how important it was for people to hear it. What advice do you have for those tuning into today's episode regarding remote hearings? Frank? I said it earlier and I will say it again. Remote appearances is, is something in our toolkit. It's something, it, it is a means to an end. It is not the end in and of itself. And so if the technology or remote appearances becomes uh, a hindrance in the delivery of justice, in the res resolution of disputes, in the opportunity for people to be heard, if it stands in the way of due process, then it's the wrong tool. And you should think strategically about whether you want to continue to employ certain circumstances. The other thing I would say is now that we're past the pandemic, whatever that means, now we have an, you know, we all ran wholesale into remote appearances because we had to, out of necessity, to make sure that we maintain court operations in a very difficult time. We're now in a situation where we can think about how we want to strategically deploy that technology to make sure that it works and it works as a delivery mechanism for justice. Uh, and I think we have to be very, very careful with that. And we need to do so with the buy-in of all of our stakeholders. And, and we need to listen to the public. And, and we need to just, you know, continue to provide the access to the public that, that we're intended to do. Danielle? I think one really great thing that we learned during COVID is that we could adjust and we could transform with the times. And that courts were not stuck in 1950 or 1920 or 1900, right? And we may be in historic buildings, but we don't have to have historic procedures. And so the world around us is changing at a fast pace. AI, uh, remote hearings, right? The expectation of the future generations is that we keep up with that. And so if we're not providing services at the same level as everybody else, then we're really holding ourselves back. And then we lose respect in that capacity, too, because we're not able to strategically forward think. We're not providing vision for where the court should be going. So we're going to really miss out on an opportunity if we don't take advantage of really putting into practice where do we want to go into the future and how do we want to provide services to people and how do we continue to create access to justice? So we have to really like jump on what does that look like? And it doesn't have to look the same for everybody. That's what's unique. Make it work for your community. Every community looks a little different. We have an older population here 
who wants to come into our courthouse? They don't want to have to pull out their phone. It's more complicated. Let them walk in the building. Give them that experience if that's what they want. We have to learn how to create different pathways for different users. This is not just a one-stop shop. Everybody has to go through this pathway. Um, so we really have to take the opportunity to think about what are, where are our options lie and how can we move forward in that in order to provide the best level of service to everybody. And if we don't do it, I think we're missing out on an opportunity and no matter what community you're in. Stacy, um, I think the best advice that I would give would be that we are administering justice and being part of that for individuals. That a lot of times from the actions or inactions of a mass of people that we can try to accommodate the mass and forget that we are really, it's only usually one person at a time that's coming before the judge. And we need to appreciate that. I think there's a benefit in having remote hearings. So this judge, you know, there are ex sometimes extenuating circumstances, which it will be highly beneficial. But then we also have the benefit of as, as we want to improve the public perception of the courts and have the ability to have public access, we cannot underestimate the value of someone having a preconceived notion about what their experience is going to be in court, stand before a judge who totally dispels what they previously knew, you know, what they previously knew of contact with the court. So I think that that works to our, our benefit because we did have an opportunity for this brief time to really do some internal examinations on who we are as individuals, what we bring to the table, what even has our experience been like if we had to go and pay a traffic ticket? What has our experience been like? And what can we do now that we had a period of pause how can we facilitate an even stronger confidence with the public on what we provide and why we're here and what we continue to strive to do so that they can walk away and feel that they were heard, that they are a part of what is going on and the benefits of it and not look at it in the negative light and to walk away, you know, with a good feeling about what we do and why we do it. Angie? I think with what everyone said so far, the, the biggest takeaway for me is you kind of want to have remote hearings because I wonder how many of the defendants that we should have in court that don't appear are getting like unnecessarily hurt by us not having that option. Like if they can't take off work, because I do have people that call and say, I can't make it because they won't let me take work, you know, take off work today. And I do get them set up, but if there's those that don't contact the court and just think that, oh, if I don't go, somehow this charge will disappear, mm -hmm. you know, it's like they're going to end up either like at collections or they're going to end up with a warrant. And it's like that hurts them more than if they would have been able to appear in the first place. So, you know, I really think remote hearings are a valuable resource to have. Unfortunately, the the judges that I have had don't agree with that. And so, you know, we don't have that option. And you know, one of the things you really have to look at it to see if that's something that you need to kind of make it so your defendants don't have a negative view of the court system as being something where all we're out is to have people have warrants and have them sent to collections for us to get our money, because that's not what it's about at all. I want to thank Stacy Fields. Frank Mayoko, 
Angie Vanskoik, and Danielle Trujillo for their ideas, concerns, and experiences with remote hearings. We always learn more every time we explore this topic. As always, my thanks to you court professionals tuning in to today's episode. Whether dealing with people remotely on a Zoom call or in person across the counter, the strength of your professionalism always shines through. Thank you. Join us on Tuesday, December 19th for another episode dealing with the issues facing our courts. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leaders Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. Today's episode will be available on our website, on YouTube, on Facebook, on iTunes, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. Become part of the conversation. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakamnet.org. Did you hear an interesting comment by one of the panelists that you would like to listen to again, but you don't want to search through the entire episode to find it? The additional resources section of the webpage contains a question time marker sheet. Just find the discussion question on the sheet, and next to it is the time that question was asked. You can then quickly fast forward to that time in the episode and listen to the panelists' comments. Remember, if you don't have time to watch an episode, you can always listen to the audio version. Listen in your car or on the bus on your way to or from work. You never have to miss an episode. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests, the Court Leader website, and the National Association for Court Management, thank you, and have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the host and the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management.